0: y'all quiet. The longer I go, the longer it takes you to eat. I will say this. If you're here today and you are starting to get hungry um, afterwards, we are having a cookout. We'd love for you to stay, eat some burgers and dogs. Um, I'm glad they're being cooked outside and not inside. That would have been just cruel and unusual punishment for the rest of us. Uh, But if you can stay, we would love for you to stay. I I wonder, have you ever had this thought in your mind that it's hard to find good workers nowadays? Anyone ever had that feeling? You've had that feeling? I I went to the grocery store, a local grocery store, I'm not going to name names, um, but I get to the checkout and the clerk uh, is on their phone. And not like on their phone, but you know they're, they're they're texting and they're they got the registers here, the phones here, like we can't see, and they're and they're looking. And so I got all my stuff up there, and they're bloop bloop, kind of putting it through. And of course, what I've come kind of to realize is at this grocery store, uh, you are responsible for your own bagging. So they're just kind of throwing it down there, throwing it down there. Every once in a while, going and texting them, throwing it down there, throwing it. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. I'll go ahead and I'll bag. And then they tell me my total. It's, you know, 75, 82. Okay. So then it's time to, to pay. So I'm thinking, well, it's time for me to pay, so I'm going to go and get my wallet. Then they're going to take over the bagging. That's not the case. I come up and I fumble, and all my stuff's still piling here and there. So we had a little stare off. And I'd like to say I won. They ended up bagging. Um, but they, a lot of people, and it's not just that you know, the younger crowd gets a the bad rep. It's not just the younger crowd. You know, everybody wants to be texting. And here's what I found is when you text, there are abbreviations for everything. And there are a few abbreviations that I found. These are from bosses. These are workplace attitudes that bosses absolutely hate. And the first one is NMJ. That is, it's not my job. I don't know if you ever heard that or somebody was asked to do something. That's not my job. That's not my job. Next one is ACD. Always complain and di- complaining and disagreeing. You know, it's hard to find good work these days. CWS. It's a clock watcher syndrome. I've seen that everywhere. i go. got look at the clock look at your phone. as my, my shift over. And then TTM, which is the troublemaker. You don't want a troublemaker. There's a story about two guys. They are walking through a small town. And they're, they're looking for work. They go to every door. And on almost every door, there's a sign that says, help wanted. Yet they keep moving. They keep moving until they get to a store that uh, says, no help wanted. And the one shook his head and looked at the other one and said, you should apply. You'd be great. <laughs> it's hard to find good work, right? It's hard to find people that are working hard. Well, we have been for quite some time working ourselves through a book, two books, actually, Ezra and Nehemiah. And what we have found out through our study is Nehemiah is, in fact, a good worker. He's a hard worker. He's a faithful worker. See, what God had done was he presented Nehemiah with a task and he took it on. Not only did he take it on, but he inspired the people around him to take it on as well. And they did it willingly, and they worked hard as well. They sacrificed, they labored, they gave, they worked tirelessly, and so did their leader. And he's going to prove it in this chapter. We're going to be in chapter 6 of Nehemiah today. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it will be up on the screen as we are going through. We are inching our way to the end of this great book, Nehemiah, and the book before Ezra, we've already gone through. And we are are going to finish this study before the summer. Uh, Over the next uh, two weeks after this, we are going to finish, so looking forward to that. There is a familiar theme in Nehemiah. There's something that seems to happen and crop up all the time, and that is obstacles. Nehemiah would be working and things would pop up, a problem, an issue, and the last time you and I got together, we looked at a problem that wasn't coming from outside the camp, it was coming from inside the camp. And then we saw back in chapter 4 that there were those that wanted to stop Nehemiah and the people. And I promised you we would come across them again. And so we are going to see them here again in chapter 6. A guy named and Tobiah, uh, uh, Geshem, who we've already been introduced to. They were unhappy about the state of affairs as we know them. See, what had happened with Nehemiah was he had come back. From captivity, he was working with the king, and he had a job to do. He had to build the wall around Jerusalem. The wall had been burned down and crumbled, and so he had to come back. And in fact, he was doing quite well at this. Half of its height had been finished already, and they did not like it. By the time we get to chapter 6 here, pretty much the entire wall had been rebuilt, which of course made them even more angry. None of their attempts work and trying to get them to stop. And so what they're going to do is they're going to try a different approach. We're going to start here in verse chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Then Sambal and Geshem sent a message to me, and that's Nehemiah, saying, Come, let us meet together. See, remember, this is Nehemiah writing here. We are, he's recalling the the effects that happened to him, and we get a direct line of sight, so to speak, to what he is going through. They were trying, the enemy was trying to get him to come to a place to meet away from Jerusalem to a place that they would choose. Sounds kind of fishy, right? Well, Nehemiah understands this. The end of verse 2 says, but they were planning to harm me." This literally means that they were planning to do evil things to Nehemiah. They wanted him out of the way. And had he gone to meet with them, he probably would have been killed because he would have been defenseless. But he sees that. And he sends word back to them, letting them know he's not coming in verse 3. What's their reply in verse 4? They reply four times. They send a letter, and we're going to send more letters. They end up sending five letters. Five attempts to get Nehemiah away from his job. Five attempts to distract him. Five attempts to strike fear into Nehemiah's heart. They were persistent at what they were doing, right? I mean, letter after letter, after they just kept going and going. And this been going, has been going on for chapters now. They keep coming. They don't, they don't stop. And so how does he answer them? Well, he answers them the same way each and every time. Look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He basically says, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for you. See, where they wanted to meet was more than a day's journey for him to go. And he did not have time. He had work that he had to do. And it was important work. This here is not uh, a Nehemiah gloating that he's the important one. The translation really is it's the work that is important. He says, I have things to do. He doesn't want to take credit for it. But he also does not have time for their distractions. And that's, that's really all it was. It was a distraction See, there was still work to be done. The, 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 the gates and things weren't done to completion quite yet. But Nehemiah says, you know what? I am going to keep working regardless of the distractions. I'm going to keep working regardless of the distractions in my life. Let me ask you the question. You guys know it is. You guys know there are distractions every day in your life, Right? I mean, we are working, we're trying to work hard, and and, and distractions, they end up being persistent. They come, and they come, and they won't stop. And the question is, how do you fight such persistence? Well, you fight persistence with purpose. Understanding what your purpose is and focusing on that is going to do wonders for you and I. See, it's the distractions that keep us from losing sight of our purpose, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I can lose focus pretty easy. My dad oftentimes will text me, ask me how my day is going. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen this movie. I tried to download a GIF. I think that's what it's called, a GIF. Um, kind of showing my age to the young people. Um, but uh, there's, I think this is from Up, uh, this, this picture. This dog, I, I th- I've never seen it. I've never seen it before, the, the, the movie. But he, he gets uh, something that allows him to talk, I think. And he's basically you know, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then what happens next? Swirl. I mean, just totally distracted. I mean, that's kind of my day. Most of it, my dad t- sends me a text. I usually send him this gift back. And all of a sudden, Just And that's, that's me. I lose focus. He, if you're anything like me, you lose focus. You lose sight of our purpose. It's easy to do. It happens. But, uh, these things happen, and they, they, they cause us to lose sight of the big picture. We lose sight of what it is that we are here for as human beings. See, Nehemiah, He knew he came back for one purpose. One purpose, and that was to build the wall. He knew he had a job to do, is to build, he refused to be distracted from that purpose. No matter what came up, regardless of it, regardless of whatever verbal war they wanted, whatever verbal or or threats, physical threats that they had, he was not gonna allow it. He had purpose. Do you understand in your life just how important purpose is? There's an illustration that I heard a while back that I want to share with you. Of course the sun is out, it's beautiful, I'm very happy about that, but we know we've just been inundated with rain over the last few days. And you've probably looked at the fields and you've seen the fields were flooded. Hopefully your basement was not. But if you looked at the fields, you saw it was flooded. If you have water in a field, it looks like it's just useless. It's it's a flood, right? And you look, let's say there's a million gallons in a field. It's useless without a purpose. But if you can take that water and put it through a narrow way, that power, that that, that water will have enough power to light a city. Because without purpose, that water is just a flood. But see, purpose is power. Purpose is the secret to power. It's what you and I need in our lives as we live And it's something Nehemiah had. He had the focus. He had the purpose. See, he kept working regardless of the distractions in his life. How did he do it? Well, he fought persistence with purpose. See, you and I, our purpose, simple, glorifying God. As believers, you and I, our purpose in life is glorifying God. See, as I've mentioned before and will continue to mention in later days is this. We were created for His good pleasure, not the other way around. See, we're here to point others to Him, to bring Him glory, to live for Him, to share Him. That is our purpose. And I'll be honest, anything that is different than that is simply a distraction. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to be distracted. But it doesn't stop. Verse 5. Then Senba sent his servant to me in the same manner, a fifth time, here's a fifth one, with an open letter in his hand. See, he wasn't done. Here comes number five. It's a letter that's sent, and this time it's an open letter. See, letters, if they're meant to be private, and it's even true today, if you have a letter meant to be private, you're going to seal up that envelope. This envelope was meant for other people to see. When you're spreading lies and falsehood, you want everybody to know about it. This open letter was a big sign of disrespect for Nehemiah. They were going after Nehemiah's character. And if you've been with us through the study, we know that Nehemiah was an authentic guy. It's going to take a lot of work to take down his character. But if they could tarnish his character, they would inflict a lot of harm on him. They'd inflict a lot of harm on the people of God, but on God specifically. Perhaps they could get others to think differently of Nehemiah without Nehemiah even having to do anything. That's what they tried to do in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king according to these reports. they're just All of it is lies. None of it is true. There is no rebellion coming. Nehemiah did not have any desire to be king. He goes on in verse 7. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come, let us take counsel together. He's saying, look, you hired people to to proclaim your name. And and guess what? You know what? We're going to tell on you. We're going to bring it to the king. We're going to tell on you, unless you come and meet with us. I mean, they're playing dirty here. Come and meet with us. They resort to lies. They're resorting to defamation of character to get at him. They're, they're spreading rumors. And of course, we know what happens with rumors. Rumors spread like wildfires. It's not that, just that they spread. It's that they get twisted and reworked. You know it from playing that old uh, game, Telephone. Whisper to one person's ear. We did this just the other day in youth group. We were talking about the power of the tongue. And I whispered something in a kid's ear and went around. The way. I don't know what came back. But it wasn't even close to the sentence that I gave them. When you have rumors, they spread and they get twisted. You whisper to one person, it gets totally worked up. I don't know about you, but if someone was spreading lies about me, and spreading them to other people, I would tend to, 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 to get worked up. Wouldn't you? I mean, if, if people were lying behind your back to other people, you'd get worked up. What would be your reaction? What would be your instant reaction? Perhaps anger would come in, right? Perhaps uh, revenge might even creep in there just a little bit. But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah keeps working regardless of the lies that are around him. But how does he fight these lies? Well, he fights fiction with fact. Look at verse 8. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you were saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind." See, Nehemiah, he didn't waste time with revenge. He doesn't waste time with trying to clear his name because what he's made clear is it's not about me anyway. He gets right to the heart of the matter, and that is Sambal and the guys that have made up this story. It fabricates, it's a lie. There's no truth in it. So he fights that fiction with fact. None of it is true. But why would they do this? Why would they be making up these lies? Look at verse 9. What's the purpose of it? Verse 9. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. They were trying to scare them into inactivity See, we understand what lies do. We understand what lies can do around us. That they are hurtful. Lies can damage. Lies can tear apart. But how powerful it is when you are armed with the truth. Lies can tear apart. But oh, how powerful it is when you are armed with the truth. And the truth is what comes from the word of God. It's the only thing that can combat the lies. Of course, you know where the lies come from, right? the lies come from the enemy here's what John 8:44 says you are of your father the devil that is satan and you want to do the desires of your father He, meaning Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the lies come from the father of lies. Satan, who has been sprouting lies from the very beginning, when he told Eve, Is that really what God said? Are you surely going to die? He is a liar. He will keep lying. He will keep spewing the lies, but these lies can be battled with the truth that we have. See, there are lies that are going to be whispered. You're going to hear them all throughout your life. Lies that only can be defeated with truth. You know, here are some of the lies that the enemy will tell us. And you've heard them, right? You are all alone in your struggle and God doesn't care. These are things that creep in when you're going through hard times. The lies come. God doesn't care about you, but if you're armed with the truth and want to be fine in 1 Corinthians 10, you'll know this. No temptation has overcome you, but what is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with this temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Not only does our God care, but He provides And then not just a way of escape, which we think, oh, it's just my way to get out of it. But he says, I'm going to give you the strength to hold up under that pressure. See, we don't have to believe the lies when we know the truth. Another lie says this, just look out for yourself. Look out for number one and everything will be better. Of course, if you're armed with the truth, you know Philippians 2 says this, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with all humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's counterculture, isn't it? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus modeled exactly what we should be doing. The enemy will tell you, God is just out to get you. Just wait until you mess up, man. He is ready to smite you. Ever hear something like that? You're armed with the truth. You know the truth. Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness and truth. Look, we could go on and on about the lies of the enemy and the truth that we have. But the fact of the matter is you will be faced with lies all throughout your life. But in order to combat those lies, you must first know the truth. And the only way to know the truth is to be in the word of God on a consistent basis. That's it. It's the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind, yet isn't it one of our biggest struggles? Remember a couple weeks ago, I challenged us with reading the Bible for 30 straight days. I wonder how it's going. It's a struggle, isn't it? But that's where truth is. Nehemiah realizes, look, I I can't do all of this, any of this, in fact, on my own. None of what Nehemiah did And none of what you and I will do and accomplish is done on our own. Nehemiah realized that he'd been back, brought back with a purpose, that he has a a job to do. But all along, one major detail is that they cannot do it on their own. They must rely on something greater than themselves. And so we see in verse 9 but now, O God, strengthen my hands. See, the truth is only found in him. He is our success. He is our rock. He is our our, our fortress. He, he is the deliverer that we, we trust him. In the storms of life, I ask you, where do you cling? Where do you go to? What's your next move? It should be to God Almighty. Nehemiah realizes this. Nehemiah realizes he's a strength that we need. He's a strength that you and I need each and every single day. Nehemiah is quite a character. We found out that he is a a hard worker, a persistent worker. Nehemiah kept working regardless of distractions. How did he do it? He fought persistence with purpose. He kept working regardless of the lies. How did he do that? Well, he fought fiction with fact. And where's the facts found? On the truth and the solid rock of Almighty God. But yet his tests are not done. They're not over. The enemy is going to get more and more creative. Look at verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah... He says to me, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. What a strange interaction. Shemaiah tells Nehemiah that he is in danger. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. He may have been a priest because he has access to the temple. But what we do find out is that he is a friend of Tobiah and, and of Sambal, so instantly you and I know he's up to no good. However, Nehemiah didn't know that up front. But the more and more Shemaiah talked, the more fishy the situation got. He wants him to hide out in the temple, but of course we know that the temple was not for hiding out for, the temple was for worship. And so you can see Nehemiah is working it out in his mind. Look at verse 11. He says, "Should a man like me flee?" And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? He says, no, I'm not going to do it. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think to yourself. Put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Nehemiah is in danger. His life is in danger. He may be murdered. I wonder, what would we do? See, the last time we talked about Nehemiah, he was facing dangers for his people. But now these threats, they're they're personal. He's in a very real danger. I wonder, what would you do to stay alive in that situation? His life is in danger. What would you do to stay alive? And most of us would say, whatever it takes. Or at least popular opinion would say, you stay alive. No matter what. No matter what it takes. No matter what you have to do. Take care of yourself. Do whatever it takes to make sure you're okay. If you need to go into the temple, then go into the temple if that's going to make you live. To see wrong ends up becoming relative and subjective. Popular opinion says, okay, just do it. We'll, we'll work out the details later. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to run up. I, I, I'm a man that's ahead of the state. I'm, I'm bound to set an example for others. Why would I flee from danger and hide? No, I'm not going to do that. What kind of example would I be? And did you say you want me to go into the temple and hide? See, now at this point, Nehemiah knows. And he says as much in verse 12 that they're surely not from God. They've simply been, been hired. But how does Nehemiah know this? I mean, yes, he's friends with Sam Ballad and and, and, and Tobiah, and we, we know this. But remember when we talked about fighting fiction with fact and knowing about the truth? See, Nehemiah was familiar with God's word. He knew what was right and what was wrong. And I understand there are gray areas in our life. This was not a gray area for Nehemiah. God was clear in his word about what he expected. And here's here's where we find it. It's not up on the screen yet, but uh, I don't have it up there. Numbers 3.10. This is how clear God was in his word about who should enter the temple. He says, So you shall appoint Aaron, who's a Levite, and his sons, that they may keep their priesthood. But the layman, anyone that's not a priest... Who comes near, talking about the temple, shall be put to death. No gray area. Numbers eighteen seven. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar inside the veil. And you are to perform the service. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service. But the outsider, the layman, the person who is not, who comes near... "...shall be put to death." See, Nehemiah knew this truth. He was not a priest. He was a layman. He didn't have the rightful access to the temple, at least not the inside where the priests were allowed. But I wonder what would happen to him. I mean, it says he's going to surely die. I wonder if if that would actually happen. You know, there was an example in the Bible, King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles Chronicles, 26. There's a story about this guy. He ends up going into the temple... And here's what happened. It says, But when he became strong, his heart was so proud, this is the king, that he acted corruptly. He did something he shouldn't have done. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That's not his job. See, the priests come in after him. They tell him, you need to get out. This is, this is not for you. This is very clear. You are going against what God has said. And so he got angry. And while he was enraged with the priest, the scripture says... Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests of the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. The chief priest and all the priests looked at him. And behold, leprosy was all over him. And they hurried him out of there. And he himself, understanding what was happening, hurried himself out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah, here's what happens, was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house by being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Seemed like an overreaction. It was clear. This was actually mercy. God showed mercy. He was fortunate. His life should have ended. See, Nehemiah would have understood that principle. He would have understood the use in the temple in a wrong manner. And even by just entering it, he knew he would be breaking the law. It seemed as if Nehemiah was keenly aware of his position and how it would affect others around him. As an example, he was an example. He also knew that, 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 that about the story about the king going in to save his... And, and so if he goes in to save his life, he could very well lose his own life just by trying to save it. See, Nehemiah, he kept working despite the temptations. He didn't give in to popular opinion. He fought that popular opinion with perspective. The kind of perspective that is constantly aware of our actions and the ripple effect that it has. The kind of perspective that that doesn't just think of self first, but thinks of God and his people first. Man, wouldn't you like to have that perspective? The kind of perspective that asks the questions, how will what I do, what I say, the way I react right now, reflect on Christ? How will it reflect on his people? See, these are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves as we navigate this beautiful thing called life that we are in. It is indeed vital. But we get so lost in ourselves. Making sure that that we are pleased and that our best interests are met. That we lose sight of the fact that our lives as believers are not our own. That we live for a different reason than the world. Exactly what Paul said when he said in Philippians 1 about his perspective. When he says, for me to live is Christ. See, Nehemiah kept working and fighting and working and fighting. Nehemiah kept working regardless of distractions. How did he do it? He fought persistence with purpose. He kept working regardless of the lies. How? By fighting fiction with fact, which is based on the Word of God. And he kept working regardless of any temptation that came his way by fighting popular opinion with perspective. A lot of things have happened in Nehemiah. With all of the threats, all of the issues, the many ups and downs emotionally that they have gone through. And now there's a very simple statement, and I love it. Look at verse 15. So the wall was completed. The wall was completed. If Nehemiah had a mic, he would have dropped it. It's done. It doesn't matter what happened. You saw how much you guys worked and how hard you worked to get us off track. It was done. And not just done, but done in 52 days. I can picture, Selena should have got up here and did this. She could have dropped that mic and just walked off. Because that's, that's what he does here. He says, it's done. See, the walls that had laid ruin for nearly a century and a half were rebuilt in less than two months. Can you imagine that? I mean, what a miracle. Just to give you a, a breakdown of the, of the timeline, they were building between July and September. But if you back up to November December, that's when Nehemiah hears about the issue that, he, that, that they had. The walls broken down. And then in March and April, he presents a plan to the king to go back and to build the walls. And, and, and it took a few months' journey to get there. And then they come back, and within 52 days, they put it all together. All the hardships, all the threats, all the hard work, And what was the result? It wasn't just that the wall was done. Look at verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The enemy lost all confidence. They had put their best efforts first, uh, First, they had done their worst, and, and while we can't say it didn't affect the project, it did not stop them. But what is the most important thing that happens here is the fact that they recognize God Almighty. Isn't that all that mattered? It wasn't the wall, it wasn't Nehemiah's fame, it wasn't for the good of the nation. This amazing feat was accomplished so that they would recognize God. That they would recognize Yahweh, who is God Almighty, to see Him for all that He is. And and to not lose Him amongst all the noise and the, and the, the clamor of everything that was happening around Him. See, the wall wasn't just a project. It wasn't just for protection. It was so that the people would see God. I wonder, do people see God in us? It's a tough question. Do people realize that us as believers, that we live for most for more than ourselves, do they see that there's more to you than just your 9 to 5 job? Do they see God in you? Isn't that what God wants? Listen to what the gospel says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. That verse doesn't end there. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do people see a difference? A difference from the popular notions of the day, no matter how popular they may be, and no matter how unpopular your stance, which should be a biblical stance, may be. Does your life reflect the God that you serve? But this is important. Don't miss this. This wasn't done just for recognition. God is not interested in just us recognizing Him. He wants to know us. Not just recognition, to know See, our God is a relational God. He built us as relational beings to have relationships. And He desires for us to know Him. Listen to John 17. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, this word in verse 16. This word, recognize, is actually in the Hebrew. It's the adab, which means to know. It's not just to recognize, but to know. And in fact, it's the same word used in Genesis 5-1 when it says Adam knew his wife. To know, this means to know completely and to be completely known. It's the best biblical word for knowing. It goes much deeper than just knowledge. See, the unbeliever doesn't know God. Here's what God says about the unbeliever. Jeremiah says they bend their tongue like their bow lies and not truth prevail in the land for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me. Same word. They do not know me declares the Lord. See he desires to know us. David, a man after God's own heart, knew God. He was a believer, and here's what he says in his psalm. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Same word. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. See, this knowing goes just beyond general knowledge. David Platt, in his book called Radical, says this. It describes the most intimate of connections. One Hebrew scholar defines the word this way. It's a mingling of the souls. That's more than just knowledge. That's intimacy. Do you know him? Do you know him this morning? Do you recognize who he is? Do you you recognize that God sent his son to die in your place as a sacrifice? Do you know and understand and believe that Jesus, yes, he died on the cross, he took your sin, but he ultimately defeated sin and he defeated death by raising from the grave. Do you know him? Do you live for Him? Do you, do you know that when you close your eyes in death, that you will open them in glory? I can tell you, you can know that today. You can know that today. You can put your faith and trust in the only way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. You can know that today. You can live for Him. You may be here this morning and say, No, nah, I've been to that place. I confess Jesus as Lord, but let me ask you, does it show in your life? Do people see Him in you? See, it's one thing to say, God, save me. It's another thing to say, God, I'm going to serve you all my days. It's hard, isn't it? Life is beautiful, but my goodness, it's hard. We're just being honest. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a battle every single day. And you and I need to keep fighting. Keep fighting. I want to share with you as we close a story. In the 1968 Olympics, there was a Tanzanian runner that was running his marathon. He cramped up due to the high altitude of Mexico City, where it was being held. And he fell badly. He injured his knee and dislocated his shoulder as it hit hard against the pavement. But however, he continued to run. He finished dead last amongst all the competitors in the race. The winner of the marathon was two hours and 20 minutes. He finished in three hours and 25 minutes. There were only a few people left in the stadium. The sun had set. A television crew was told, there's one more runner coming in. and So they rush over there. He finally crosses their line, the line, and there's a small cheer. Then they come over in and interview him and say, why in the world would you keep running? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. We must keep working. We must keep fighting. We must keep working and fighting. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, this is for you. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We need to keep working and fighting and not giving up. We need to keep working regardless of the distractions in your life because there will be many. You fight the the, the persistent distractions with purpose. Just keep fighting and working regardless of the lies that come up amongst you because it's going to be many. How are you going to fight that? You fight that fiction with facts. You need to know the, the truth of God. We keep working regardless of the temptations in our life and they will be many as well. How do we do that? We stand up to popular opinion with an eternal perspective. When we do that, when we do that, people will recognize Our God. For who he is. That's why we do what we do. Keep working. Keep fighting. And keep pressing on to the mark. Let's pray. Our God, this uh, study has been quite amazing. We've seen a, a man, not special at all, do some amazing things because you are amazing. Lord, he was just faithful. That's what you call us to be. You don't ask us to be successful. You ask us to be faithful. You can handle all the rest. But what we know and realize is that this life, it's a journey. Lord, it takes work. It takes fight. Lord, help us to work and to fight and not give up. Because ultimately, it's not about us, Lord. It's about you. It's about people around us recognizing you, coming to know you, Lord. You want to know us personally, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you that they may come to know you this morning. Lord, for those of us who have come to a saving knowledge of your son. God, I pray that you will continually draw us to you. Continually give us that perspective, that eternal perspective that says, I need to live for you no matter what is around, God. What an amazing gift you've given us in this thing called love, life. But wow, what an amazing thing you have for us beyond it. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on You, the Author and the Finisher of our faith. God, we love You. Give us the strength. Pray that for each one today, it's Your Son's precious name. We ask for these things. Amen. Let's stand and worship.